Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 21, Women's Appreciation. In this episode, Phyllis gets flashed, Michael leads a seminar, and Dwight is on the case. This episode's cold open features just some classic banter between Jim and Dwight. Jim comes into work late, and he is handed a piece of paper by Dwight. Dwight states that this is a demerit. And one thing that I couldn't help but focus on in this interaction is that this is the first time that we have seen any recognition of somebody showing up late to work. Yeah, a lot of people come in late for narrative convenience. And it could be for a multitude of reasons. It happens in this episode, in fact. Later on in this episode, we see people just kind of trickle into the office. And we don't know. Everyone can have different start times. It could be that people go on sales calls, appointments doesn't matter. Jim leans into Dwight's sense of following the rules here by asking, well, what happens if he gets another demerit? And Dwight goes through this litany of how discipline would work. And it it sounds sort of familiar to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Uh... After five demerits, Dwight would then issue a citation. After three citations, Jim would then get a verbal warning. After two verbal warnings, he would receive a written warning. After I believe it's two written warnings, that's when there would be a disciplinary review by Dwight to be placed on the desk of his immediate superior. And as Jim notes, that's Jim. And so Jim asked Dwight to just completely bypass all those other steps. And he wants a disciplinary review on Jim's desk by the end of the day. If Dwight does not accomplish this task, Jim says he will receive a disagulation. A full disagulation. A full disagulation. And Dwight isn't quite sure what that is. And Jim just responds like, oh, you don't want to know. And so this kind of puts the fear into Dwight. And this is Jim just kind of turning what Dwight is doing back on to Dwight, as we see happen many times. Yeah, Dwight is very concerned with following the rules and being on time. Not that that is a bad treat by any means. It's just that Dwight, as we'll see in this episode, can take that to the extreme and that there are no exceptions to any of these rules. So the reason that we say this sounds so familiar is that both of us have worked in jobs where there is union representation. And let me start this by saying unions can be very good things. As a whole, I would say we support unions. Absolutely. Uh, We have seen an acquaintance of ours get fired for almost no reason. It was a mistake made by them, but for reasons out of their control. And that's just kind of where the buck fell, was on this person, they lost their job. If they were in a union position, there's no way that would ever have happened. Yeah. It was a pretty unfair situation, I would say, for this person to lose their job. However, you see situations like the one that is described here in this cold open, and it honestly, it's really not even that much of an exaggeration as to the steps that are have to be gone through in order to fire someone yes in or discipline them at all really and that's what i was thinking of just in the job that um that i'm remembering the steps for if someone was late 
are very similar to what Dwight described here. You have to get so many, so many warnings, then a written warning, then you have a review to where in a non-union job, you're just going to get disciplined. Now, you may not get fired right off the bat, but the that's there's pros and cons to these things. And the con is it's created such a long chain of discipline that a lot of managers, in my experience, didn't even want to bother with it. So then the squeaky wheel people just get to sit and be put in a corner and left to their own devices because that's easier than trying to deal with them, especially if those people want to file a grievance against every step of the disciplinary process. So it's sort of a double-edged sword um, depending on the person because someone can really take advantage of the union protections that are offered. Right. And especially for in a situation that I was in, you kind of see this problem employees being able to just get away with a lot, not really get away because they're getting in trouble for it, I guess, but like they could do one thing wrong and then do that same thing wrong again and then do that same thing wrong again and they get to you know step three of the discipline process and then let's say they do a different thing wrong well that's a completely different matter yeah they now are on step one of the discipline process for this thing yeah that separate offense right and so it is kind of like oh no this is a completely different subject this is the first time that I've gotten in trouble for this thing. Like, for some reason, there's this separation. Of, like, it's not joined together of, oh, this person's a bad employee. It's, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, no. They just did this one thing wrong a couple times. And then this whole other thing is completely unrelated to the thing that they've already gotten in trouble for several times. Yeah, it just creates a really interesting atmosphere. And I don't know... If certain people that are prone to like really push the rules or sort of play the victim are looking for these type of jobs, but somehow they find them. And what happens in our experience is that then there is this really a very poor relationship between management and employees then. And there's resentment. There is skepticism. Um... I've had to prove that I need to take bereavement leave, like things like that, because there is this fear by management that then the employees are going to just push to the limit of everything they can get under the union contracts or protections. So this was just funny that it reminded us of that. This is a real spinoff tangent discussion of our experience in the workplace, but that is what is interesting about the office as a sitcom. And in this time of coronavirus with the working from home, um, which Curtis and I are still doing at this moment, it's this may be a relic. This could be a relic of an era that we don't have. Um, this was definitely before a time of widespread work from home. Um, now our companies didn't do that. We couldn't just work from home whenever we wanted prior to coronavirus. But the way that the workplace may adapt to post-coronavirus life is more working from home. Right. And this is uh, another point of that is that in terms of technological advances, this is a time when Wi-Fi is probably existent in some form, but definitely not as widespread as it is now. It's not great Wi-Fi, probably. Think back to Wi-Fi in your college dorm. Yeah. I the I had a better um, shot of having a good internet connection by connecting to with um, wire a wire yeah connection. having yep. a wire connection than than the Wi-Fi. Can you imagine now being like, oh, let me plug in my laptop, you know, to the wire here? Yeah, I mean that's kind of probably part of what's preventing widespread work from home in this situation is because you're tethered to a desk at that point mm-hmm. like 
you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to work from home today. Let me pick up my computer and bring it over to my house and then hook it up to my internet. Yeah. Like you are, it, there are security issues involved with that for sure. And I feel like when I graduated high school, I got a laptop um, as my graduation gift to take to college and it was bulky in comparison. Think about how heavy laptops like used to be and it wasn't necessarily ubiquitous. There were some kids that had a desktop um, in I my did. dorm. Yeah, so even four years earlier, desktop was still the norm. So just how quickly, and we've talked about this before just with this podcast, how quickly technology has evolved in some respects for better or for worse. Um, I think about all the office storylines that there could have been with social media, but also social media is a cesspool of like dumpster fire. So to round out this cold open, uh, like we said, we are a pro union household. We have seen some kind of flaws of unions firsthand, but for the most part, if unions didn't exist, it would be on the companies to offer benefits and perks of the job. And there are some companies that do that. I happen to work for one that treats its employees very well in a non-union environment, but those things are usually pretty rare and only come up in basically in areas where there is competition so like a software development environment things like that where companies want to get the best workers to work there and so they kind of bring the perks around as a way to entice people in agree so this episode begins with phyllis walking into the office and she is obviously perturbed by something yeah she is pretty distraught sort of shell-shocked you could say and this is definitely out of the norm for phyllis somebody who is generally pretty jovial and maybe a little dull in the office but never like just shut down and pam notices this and asks phyllis what's the matter and phyllis says she just got flashed in the parking lot Yes, there was a man standing out there, and he asked her for directions, and as she walked over to help him, he was holding a map and apparently had placed his penis on the map and flashed her, which is absurd, (laughs) which is probably why they did it for uh, this sitcom. And Phyllis was just rightfully, like I said, shell-shocked about the event. Everyone else was just really grossed out. Dwight runs out to search for the flasher. Jim calls the real police. And then everyone kind of rallies around Phyllis to sort of comfort her and make sure she's okay. Jim, as he gets off the phone with the police, says they're on it. They've gotten a couple other calls about this guy. So he must be going around in this area just flashing unsuspecting women. Michael comes into the office late. Like we said, the narrative convenience thing. He has not heard anything that has happened. Phyllis is being taken for a walk by Bob Vance to sort of calm down now. But everyone is still gathered around sort of the center of the open office plan. And Michael says, what's going on? Pam explains that Phyllis got flashed in the parking lot. And Michael starts laughing. He says... Phyllis, you say? Did the guy not see Pam or Karen from behind? As if someone that's purposely flashing women is doing it just for his own sexual satisfaction instead of this like perverted need. So bad on Michael. Then Michael decides to really take the joke too far. He's wearing a trench coat. And he turns his back to the office and you see him. He does the finger penis. He unzips his fly and sticks his penis. His finger. His finger through the hole. Through the hole. Turns around, 
opens his trench coat and says he's back and it kind of looks I mean it looks like a swizzle dick but <laughs> it's horrifying to the office because at first they're like oh my god and Michael just thinks it's hilarious he keeps opening and closing his trench coat and really making way too light of the situation finally Toby walks in asks why there are police cars says he was at a parent-teacher conference and as Toby walks in Michael moves down his finger it's still in his fly at this point and makes the noise as if like an erection is dropping (laughs) because he saw Toby (sighs) and because Michael doesn't like Toby he's trying to equate Toby being the flasher since he wasn't there and Toby tries to defend himself and Michael just says, prove it. Let's see your penis. And then everyone is absolutely horrified. And Michael realizes like any, that this was the wrong thing to say and says, as soon as that left my mouth, I knew it was wrong. So unfortunately, Michael, Creed, and really, I guess that's it. I mean, Dwight is taking it seriously, but in a different way here, no one is horrified by this happening and Karen, Pam, and Jim have to sort of explain to Michael that this is really demeaning and disgusting to Phyllis and to the women of the office. Dwight rushing out to the parking lot after he hears there has been a flasher is not the end of him addressing this situation. He goes into Michael's office and gives him a folder of basically pictures of penises, just seemingly random that he probably just pulled off of the internet and printed out and he says that he's very determined to catch this pervert and Dwight kind of takes it upon himself to form a task force to find out who this person is he has already proposed a series of security measures in the parking lot to make sure something like this doesn't happen again He proposes that security cameras be installed around the parking lot as well as two floodlights. And these measures on their face aren't the worst idea. Yeah, Pam seems to sort of nod her head as Dwight saying that. Dwight really wants to take this a step further. It's not enough to have a deterrent in the parking lot to have better security. He wants to catch this pervert and he says... Better a thousand innocent men are locked up than than one guilty man roam free, which is a really extreme view of law and justice. So he is starting this anti-flashing task force. He wants Pam to work with Phyllis in order to draw a picture, kind of a rough police sketch of this flasher. And as he's explaining this, and this is really one of the funniest scenes of the show because Dwight is being so serious and but he accidentally calls Phyllis Phallus and he is trying to assuage concerns and he says won't the floodlights just shed more light on the penises maybe but that's a risk that we have to take here and I know and I've watched the deleted scenes or the outtakes from this season this was a really hard seem to film for everyone because Dwight does have to be serious he does have to say phallus without even thinking like oh he's just saying it but then everyone just bust out laughing when he does and then the follow-up line of penises on the brain is is good as well after after Pam sort of corrects him on Phyllis's name he's like oh yeah sorry just penises on the brain back to work everybody so he's serious about this now Pam does draw a photo Phyllis says she really didn't get a good look, which that makes sense. If you've ever kind of looked into any research on eyewitness testimony, it's not great. People are not that good at remembering the features of a crime or or certain details like that when they're afraid. Their brain just isn't registering those things. And there's a lot of cases with the Innocence Project's 
um, around different states to where people are exonerated because of false eyewitness testimony, not even purposefully, but people really think that's what happens. And the way that your brain works is that once you've decided on, on this narrative, or if you're talking to the police and you get a sketch out there, or you look at, you know, a photo array that they have, that becomes the image that's locked in your head. And so that is what your memory is now. And that's what you think your original remembrance is. Right. Because up, up until the point of, in this case, Philip being flashed, she has no reason to look at this person in their face and be like, okay, brown eyes, scar on his left cheek. Like he has, she has no reason to have to remember this person's face and any kind of distinctive features. Yeah. And until something happens, and then at that point, you're now focused on the fact that this thing is happening and your reactions to what has just happened. You are, you aren't, you don't have, like your brain is not in the, in the state to kind of pause itself and be like, oh, I have a gun pointed in my face right now. Let me look at this person's face and kind of get good descriptions so I can go to the cops and say, hey, this is what this person yeah, looked like. this is the exact features these are these exact features of this person so what pam ends up doing uh she does she does create a sketch for dwight she creates sort of a pervert dwight you could say um that's that's the photo she creates for this poster and dwight is a little surprised he's like doesn't seem like the type but pam responds that phyllis got a good look so Dwight decides he's going to hang these posters up everywhere. Something that happens while Pam is in the conference room with Phyllis getting this sketch down is that Karen comes in and says, hey, have you guys seen this memo? And Dwight has put out a memo that basically says women can't wear clothing, like normal heels, clothes, makeup. essentially. Yeah, like they can't wear makeup. They can't wear heels. They have to wear muted colors, things like that. Also in the middle of this, Dwight barges into the conference room and says he is removing all bananas from the break area. And so throughout this series of events, you get a lot of bad reactions from Dwight. Like you said before, the thousand innocent people locked up rather than one person going free is a terrible way to look at this because, well... If those those thousand people being locked up doesn't make up for that one person being free, like right. those people are still in jail while the one person is still out there doing whatever. And Dwight's attitude here and his response to the flashing is a paternalistic we must protect these innocent creatures sort of view. He doesn't view women as capable of being strong fending for themselves he views his job at, ha at having to protect them and one of the ways to protect them it's like victorian england is that they have to pretend that they don't exist essentially that they can't have any sort of sexuality they have to protect themselves in this very masculine workplace they can't even look at bananas just really odd things like that. And Karen really pushes back and speaks up here. Yeah, and this is especially problematic because you see blame shifting here mm -hmm. in the sense that, oh, well, had Phyllis not been wearing muted colors and what didn't have makeup on, this guy probably wouldn't have shown her his penis. And in this sense, yes, it's ridiculous, but unfortunately it is definitely something that we see, especially in cases of sexual assault, where instead of focusing on the perpetrator of these things, it's a, oh, well, what was, what was she wearing? Yeah. Why, why was she in the bar at that time? Like, if she was in the bar, she probably was looking for something like this 
and it's just absolutely ridiculous and infuriating. It is, and it does a disservice to men as well. And we've touched on this a little bit in this podcast, but men have been left behind in some respects, and it's because of attitudes like Dwight and Michael's. We'll we'll talk a little bit in a second about Michael's attitude. Instead of being responsible for their feelings and emotions and understanding that they can have that they be men can have control over their emotions their desires and their bodies it puts blame on women and it makes men fearful of women it makes men feel like women are these creatures out to get them because they're enticing and they're trying to be alluring Whereas that's not the case. Men and women can exist in any setting. They can exist in a workplace setting without getting sexually harassed because they're there. And it's problematic because we give, we infantilize men a little bit by saying you're not responsible for yourself. You can't possibly be in control and not allowing them to have more emotions more thoughts and feelings beyond I'm just this sexual animal and if I see if I happen to see a hint of cleavage I'm gonna just go crazy yeah that's nuts that is nuts that is not actually true and if we can change the narrative change the societal box that we place both men and women in We can make it safer for men and women. You hear now after Me Too that these men are just so fearful, so fearful to even talk to a woman. That's insane. That's insane. What are you saying? How are you acting? What, you know, that joke that you think is so funny, just don't tell the damn joke. Right. It's This whole thing was men telling on themselves. If a guy was just like, oh, I don't even know what to say to a woman anymore. It's because you were being inappropriate and you just didn't realize it. Or maybe you did and... And no one pushed back. Yeah, and society has been kind of molded to allow you to do that and and it's wrong. So to get back to the episode, we have Andy kind of being a weird hanger on in this episode when... Things are kind of in motion as to, you know, what the response is going to be to Phyllis being flashed. He kind of chimes in and is like, oh, what can I do to help? I'm going to go do something. I can't even remember what he said he was going to do. Check the web. Yeah, yeah. And so when Dwight gets these posters from Pam and is going out to hang them up, Andy comes along with him. Andy knows what Pam did. And he says, I'll take a bunch of these, put them up in my neighborhood, put them at the post office, the schools. He knows that this is supposed to be sort of a rough sketch of Dwight. Dwight thinks he's just trying to be helpful and tells him that he's not that bad at the end of the day. After earlier in the day, telling Andy he's the office pariah, no one likes him, which is somewhat true. Like Curtis said, he was being the office pariah by trying to find something that he could do to help. Yeah, and this, and honestly, Andy's offer to help is relatively harmless and is definitely more helpful and realistic than Dwight forming a task force to try and find this guy. We see the culmination of Dwight's task force when Dwight gets a phone call in response to the posters, and it's Jim literally across the desk from him. And Jim says, I have information about the sex predator. And he tells Dwight that he just saw him two minutes ago in the women's bathroom above the sink. And so Dwight rushes into the women's bathroom, is looking around, and on the mirror, a tiny mustache has been drawn. And Dwight looks up, and eventually it lines up to where the mustache would be. And it is at this moment that he sees that the joke has been on him the entire time. And of course, he gets angry at Pam and rushes out of the bathroom. Michael's response to the entire incident, as we said, was first laughter. 
he said that in all the excitement, which is such a weird word to use for everything, he forgot that his job was to protect the members of the office and make them safe. I guess in order to do so, he needs to have a conference room presentation. So this time we have the table in the middle of the conference room, and he has a women's appreciation seminar. And Jim kind of jumps in here and says, what makes you the expert on appreciating women? And us as viewers know that Michael is probably the least qualified person in the office to run this seminar on respecting women. Yes. Outside of maybe Creed and Kevin. <laughs> yes. And Michael's response is another one that we see around the Me Too movement is that, oh, well, I have a mother and not quite this one as much, but I've had sex with a woman before. And so it is often it's I have a daughter. Yes, it's it's that false equivalence of, oh, I have women in my life. So I never stopped a lot of people. Let's just right. Say yeah. Yeah. Like you having a daughter shouldn't be the thing that is the catalyst to you treating women like equals. Michael kicks off the seminar with this just gem of a statement. My point is, my point is, a penis, when seen in the right context, is the most wonderful sight for a woman. But in the wrong context, it is like a monster movie. Which is absolutely hilarious. And I do say that in certain contexts often. And that's because, okay, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, you know that there is like gratuitous nudity, but it's often just mostly boobs. There are very few penises in Game of Thrones, which is kind of annoying. Like, I just don't understand. That would be the proper context here. And so I don't understand why women are expected to do full frontal nudity and men don't. Michael's seminar is this like crazy meandering, trying to like understand them, but really failing to, you know, talking about the media pressures, but look around, even the hot girls aren't that skinny. Just, just nuts. Yeah, it's. It's Michael leading a seminar of women's appreciation while simultaneously disrespecting women throughout it. So he starts off by saying he understands why Phyllis would have been disgusted in this situation. Sure. And he equates it to the time that Meredith flashed him at the Christmas party and he says, I just wanted to vomit when that happened. Which is a fair equation. No one wants to get flashed. Like that was, I think, the best and only good statement he made in this entire thing. Yes and no, because it's simultaneously <laughs> shaming Meredith. Like, he he had it been Pam... She shouldn't have done it. Sure. But had it been Pam, he would have been like... It was the greatest moment of my life. Right. That is true. And so Meredith responds to this by saying, I don't remember that at all. To which Angela says, that's not a surprise. And Michael says, no catfighting, which is kind of a, kind of like a derogatory thing to say. It's a, it's like a, you wouldn't, have, you, I don't know what the equivalent to, males would be but like he wouldn't say that to guys he'd just be like all right yeah guys being guys whatever karen speaks up and just notes the misogyny that's happening here michael doesn't understand the meaning of that word and thinks that karen is praising him in the end michael says you know this this space is too masculine because people are trying to leave they're saying this is an appropriate work talk because it's not getting anywhere if it was like the boys and girls seminar that Jan tried to put on in season two, it would have been more fruitful. Michael declares that he's taking the women on a field trip. They're going to the Steamtown Mall because that is the proper place. It's more feminine. That's where they can really appreciate women. 
only Kelly is delighted by this. Yes, this is another example of Michael disrespecting women while trying to respect them. Meredith drives. Uh, she has a minivan, so she can take everybody. She has some trouble parking. And this quote by Michael is something that my friend from college would say all the time. As Meredith is sort of struggling to get into those really two small parking spaces that they have in parking garages, Michael says, many women are competent drivers. <laughs> Which is just one of those stereotypical things. Now, the, the big, I think, highlight of this episode comes when everyone is enjoying lunch at the food court and Michael wants to dish and he brings up his relationship with Jan. He says that he's not really feeling the relationship and we got a hint of that very early on in the episode when Jan called to just ask Michael to drive to New York and just because she misses his body. It sounds like a very unhealthy relationship, and Michael describes some of that unhealthiness. Jan likes to videotape them having sex so that she can critique Michael's performance and his form. She takes those videotapes in to her therapist to watch with this therapist. She ignores his feelings and his desire, like he, she ignored him saying their safe word. So Jan is really bulldozing this relationship. Yeah, a lot of give and very little get on Michael's part here. He is discussing this with the women of the office. And there is kind of this weird competition between Karen and Pam. It's more that they're offering differing advice. Pam asked Michael to make a pro and con list or to just talk about what he likes about Jan or how he feels and he says he's unhappy when he's with her and that really sticks out to Pam where she's like Michael you shouldn't be with someone that doesn't make you happy and that is actively making you unhappy Phyllis has him make this pro and con list as I said and as he's going through Karen says you know sometimes relationships have rough patches that you have to push through Pam's response is that okay, maybe, maybe that could be the case, but it sounds like they're just wrong for each other. And so we're left to get the impression that Pam and Karen are offering this advice based on their own relationship experiences. And this is where I kind of not really got lost, but this was kind of lost on me in that to me, the the writers were trying to imply that they were probably talking about Jim. We have seen this in episodes previously where... I think Karen's talking about Jim and Pam's talking about her relationship with Roy. Sure, but in, if that's the case, Pam's not exactly the person to be offering the advice of, well, if you're just wrong for each other, you just got to get out of there. Because no doubt. it was very clear that her and Roy were not right for each other, probably for a long, long time. And she stuck around in a relationship that was dead. For sure. And she is she is the do as I say, not as I do sort of advice giver here. Right. And so to me, this seems like another instance in where the writers are trying to maybe recreate the love triangle that is happening between Jim, Karen, and Pam. I don't think they do a very good job of it here because I, I mean, I... at least me, I don't get how this is going I don't to work. think they're recreating the love triangle. I think it's more that Karen is reflecting on the fact that her and Jim have had rough patches, but she's not going to give up on the relationship, or maybe they're currently having a rough patch. We do learn in the episode that it's Jim and Karen's six-month anniversary, and they're going out to dinner for it, which six months is a decent amount of time. But we also, if you think back, there was a lot of heel dragging by Jim to be a part of this relationship. Mm -hmm. And that could be what Karen's referring to where you just have to push past that. Now, turning back to Michael and Jan, I don't think that is good advice here. If someone is actively saying that they're unhappy or they're pointing out and saying all these really terrible, um, abusive things that their partner does, it's not something to push past. Yeah, I... 
I will say that both Karen and Pam are correct in this situation. There are certainly things that in an adult relationship you need to have conversations about and work through the problems that are in your relationship. However, there are also other things that should be just red flags and deal breakers. And if those things are happening, you need to get out of that relationship. Agree. Phyllis has Michael do an exercise that her mom taught her in which he doesn't think he just answers right away. And she asked, what do you want to do about Jan? And his response is, I want to break up. And that's something he hadn't verbalized to himself yet. And he is sort of just amazed. He, he's like, I want to break up with Jan. That's what I'm going to do. So he's sort of reinvigorated by this. And as a treat to all the women, except for Angela, who had gone off to the American Girl store to uh, purchase clothes for large colonial dolls, because that's all that fits her. And Gap Kids is too flashy. Michael treats these ladies to whatever they want, one item from Victoria's Secret, which Kelly is just loving that. And everyone else takes part in, but Angela sits there uh, and will not partake. So when they get back to the office, Michael is going to follow through on the revelation he had at the mall. He's going into his office and he says he needs his ladies, so he calls... Phyllis, Karen, and Pam into his office to make this phone call. And he calls Pam and gets her voicemail. And Pam's like, do not leave a message. And Michael goes through and basically breaks up with Jan over voicemail. Not a great look. Not a good thing. Not a good way to break up with someone. Sure. And kind of lays out in a very watered down version of everything that they had discussed at the mall. He just says, it's not me, it's you. Right. And it is at this moment that Jan walks into Michael's office. She says she doesn't like how they left their conversation where Michael was really uncertain about driving to New York and she had tried to entice him by saying that she would leave two or three hundred dollars on the dresser for him to come, which is weird. For gas money. Yeah. So she wanted to come and apologize in person. She realizes that her phone buzzed to let her know about the voicemail, and she listens to Michael's breakup voicemail in front of him. And this is a difficult situation in terms of a real life thing because it might be a difficult task but Michael could probably salvage this by saying I did this because of the reason you just solved essentially like you came and apologized to me that doesn't happen and that's why I'm unhappy with this relationship and so that can be a stepping stone to go forward and kind of work on that aspect of their relationship since Jan has kind of crossed that bridge. Although there's also, this may be a no turning back situation as well, because Jan, at this point, just walks out of the office. Yes. Michael sums up his day by continuing to be a misogynist and just spout stereotypes about women and that they're flighty, they're emotional, and sort of asked himself rhetorical questions like how can you appreciate women and break up with one so michael has literally learned nothing from women's appreciation he's learned a little bit about himself and his relationship with jan but not really about just being a good person yes and that is not surprising when you consider the person michael has been Throughout this entire series. Agree. He's not going to change in one day. Right. So that pretty much wrapped up the episode. Let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So there's a couple uh, pretty good fun facts here. The first one is that originally in the script, when Steve Carell sticks his finger through his pants, they originally did not include the shot of, of the audience actually seeing him do it, if that makes sense. It, 
But that did not get past NBC's standards department. They were, and the uh, FCC, they were not going to let it seem like that was really his penis. Especially because this is like major network TV. This isn't like HBO. Yeah. So they had to rewrite it in which he, you actually see him put his hand and his finger in his pants. Got it. So Kate Flannery, who plays Meredith, she performed her own driving stunts. And I'm not really sure what those stunts entailed. Like, I guess they do blow a tire. So if that's what they mean or that they were actually driving. They filmed the mall parts at a Los Angeles mall and crowds just gathered around them and everyone wanted to get a photo of Steve Carell. And it was kind of difficult, I guess, to shoot the food court scene because they were allowing you know, just people around, and it was a little crazy. Yeah, you can't really shut down a mall. They did shut down a Victoria's Secret, though, um, so they had, the, you know, the run of that store for that scene. After this episode aired, a lot of fans would come up to Angela Kinsey, who plays Angela Martin, and ask her to sign their American Girl catalogs because of her saying that she was forced to order... Uh, clothes for large colonial dolls because the, everything else is too flashy. Also, this episode, it's a supersized one. It's It ran for 40 minutes, but it didn't get the greatest reviews. They were somewhat mixed. Um, some reviews were just so confused at the Michael and Jan relationship woes coming out of left field. And I thought more about that, and it really does, because the last time that we saw you know, Jan and Michael was the negotiation in which Jan was giving him a raise. And then the episode before that was cocktails where they were having their first party as a couple. And it was this big thing. Yeah. And so in product recall and safety training, we didn't have any um, Michael and Jan interactions. And so it really does appear that it is coming out of nowhere because Michael was the one that was so lovey-dovey and pushing the relationship in those previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Also, someone wrote that this was just a 30-minute episode that was stretched out too long. Like, they didn't... That that critic just didn't like how they, how they did it, didn't find it that funny. I would say that the only thing that they kind of threw in there that didn't do anything is the part where all the guys go into the women's bathroom yeah we didn't really touch on that but it's sort of a oh everyone's gone the men of the office hang out in the women's bathroom for the whole day curtis do you have any firings yes we definitely see michael go in this episode Agreed. and it's one of those episodes where you can kind of take your pick as to why michael needs to get fired um, in the scene where he just enters the office, there is a stretch of probably three or four different things that he could get fired for. Doing the finger penis thing. Um, Not great. Saying, did he even see Pam or Karen from behind? And telling Toby to take out his penis. Yeah, just the whole thing was awful. It is Michael's 12th firing of this season and his 25th overall. Do you have a Dundee to give out? The, the Dundee for most thoughtful wishes in the wishing well goes to Michael. At the end of the episode at the mall, he said that he threw in a coin for every woman in the world. And he wished for Phyllis a plasma TV for Pam, he wished courage. For Angela, he wished a heart. And for Kelly, he wished a brain. So we kind of just picked up on the Wizard of Oz stuff and then added in that TV for Phyllis. Didn't cover uh, Meredith or Karen, though. And I think those are somewhat accurate things to wish for for those ladies. And a plasma TV is pretty nice. Yeah. What is your Dundee? My Dundee is Spelling Bee Champ. And that goes to Michael when he is lecturing the office about how much he likes women. He says, R-E-S-P-S-V-T. Trying to spell out respect 
like the Aretha Franklin song. And it's one of those things that just shows how much of a bumbling idiot that Michael is. Yeah. Like, in context, he should know that. Respect is probably. Yeah, how, how respect. It's not that unclear in the song, but, like, he should figure this out. He should know how to spell respect. Take that with him not knowing what a misogynist is and thinking it's a compliment. Just shows, again, how dumb Michael actually is. I do have to give him some credit, though, in the fact that we have all done this where you, you're listening to a song and you really like a song and you're singing along to it and you don't quite know what a lyric says, but you just make some sounds and you <laughs> yeah. just push through it. And like, it yep, up. that's what it is. That's, that's what it is to me. So Michael clearly thinks that the song is R-E-S-P-S-W-T. Real quick update that we forgot to say. Kelly and Ryan are in a weird place and they're always in a weird place. Ryan apparently tried to ask out Karen a couple months ago. And when asked by Pam, Kelly says that their relationship is awful, but sometimes awesome. I think this was more like a joke on Kelly of if somebody asks her how she is doing or how something is, her immediate response is always awesome. Yeah. What, who is your employee of the month? I'm going to go with Pam just because of the prank she pulls on Dwight, but also she kind of helps Michael help with his problems. I also chose Pam as well for those reasons and the fact that she was able to change the flat tire on the way back to the office and that sort of gave her a confidence boost a little bit because Michael had no idea how to change a tire and I'm not judging. I don't really know how to change a tire either. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to your podcasts. Be sure to rate, like, subscribe, comment, whatever you have to do to help us get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Wear a mask.